Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. Protein powder doesn't have to be high calorie, filled with artificial ingredients, or hurt your stomach. Instead, it can be nourishing and a delicious snack. Just Ingredients Protein Powder is made with all whole foods and with five protein sources for easy digestion and an amazing rich taste. It's made with 100% grass-fed non-denatured whey, organic pea protein, organic pumpkin seed, organic chia seed, and collagen. We bring the highest quality protein to every batch. Just Ingredients is committed to its ingredients and only uses the highest quality natural ingredients that come from the earth. Just Ingredients protein powder is naturally sweetened and flavored with real foods and contains no artificial dyes, chemicals, or sugar alcohols. So if you want a delicious tasting, high protein, low calorie protein powder, you want to try Just Ingredients protein powder today. For 20% off your order, use code JIPODCAST at justingredients.us. Once again, that's code JIPODCAST at justingredients.us for 20% off your protein. Dr. Anna Kabeka is the best-selling author of The Hormone Fix and Keto Green 16. Dr. Anna is triple board certified and a fellow of gynecology, integrative medicine, and anti-aging and regenerative medicine. She holds special certifications in functional medicine, sexual health, and bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. She lectures frequently on these topics throughout the world to large audiences and is known nationally as the Girlfriend Doctor and is host of the Girlfriend Doctor Show. She has personally developed natural products to help women balance hormones and thrive through menopause, including the highly acclaimed Jolva Cream for the Vulva and Mighty Maca Plus, a powerful superfood blend. She now lives in Dallas with her daughters, horses, and dogs. Everyone, I am so excited to have Dr. Anna Kabeka here with us on the show. I have been looking forward to this interview for weeks. I love your book. I love following you on Instagram. And I just have a plethora of questions to ask you. So thank you for being here on the show today. Oh my gosh, I'm excited to be here. I love what you're doing and how you're putting forth in the world so much valuable information and inspiration. And um, when I saw your list, your list of questions, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we are going to have some fun conversation. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about because I'm curious, but also I have so many followers that daily ask me questions about menopause. So I'm like, we have got to do a podcast on this and I'll just keep referring people to this podcast. First of all, tell me, well, tell my listeners a little bit about your background. I love your story of healing and things like that, but tell my listeners your journey and how you became known as the girlfriend doctor. Oh my gosh, it's a really a funny story, but definitely I've always loved women's health and I grew up in a very friendly, multicultural household where I'm first generation American. So our doors were always open. And so just like, you know, around the table where kids weren't excluded, conversations go wild, right? And I have always loved, you know, loved medicine and been inspired by women's health for so many reasons. And part of my journey led me to like, you know, this expertise in sexual health and hormone balancing. And I trained as an OBGYN at Emory University in Atlanta, but then went into a small private practice. And I was, you know, in in solo practice, which is pretty much unheard of now for OBGYNs anymore, but I had 23 deliveries a month and just love taking care of my patients and, and being part of their lives in special moments. And I had uh, was consulting with a woman named Sherry Salada. She had called me to do a consultation health review with her, and she just loved it. She said, Dr. Anna, no one's ever given me, you know, so much information in a single office visit. And we did it virtually a single office visit. And she goes, gosh, it's just like talking to my girlfriend. And so from there on, I was the girlfriend doctor. Oh, and, I she love had, it. and she and Nancy Halla had a podcast called, uh, they changed the name of the podcast but it was one of the best podcasts, but Sherry Salada and Nancy Halla and Sherry Salada was one of Oprah's, it was her final executive producer. So like Sherry said, you're the girlfriend doctor. And that just stuck. She started saying it on her podcast. 
people started referencing me that way. And so that that's the funny story about the journey. And it's so true. Like I really feel to, and it's always been part of my practice and personality to create an open, safe space where you can ask me anything and we can talk about anything safely so that we can heal from, from the things that you know, we're, we're not voicing. I love it. Well, you have gone on your own health journey, right? You were um, told that you had premenopause, infertility, things like that, correct? Yes. At 39, I was diagnosed with early menopause and infertility. And I was told I would never be able to have another child again. And, and that was devastation upon devastation at that time of our life. And it was at a time where we'd had a traumatic family event and it just spiraled from there. And my Emory you know, University doctor's bag was completely empty. And that took me on a journey around the world, Carolyn, looking for answers. And that's where I, I studied from Chinese medicine to Andean philosophy to different learning about different plants and practices from around the world. And serendipitously, I really believe God's hand was in it every step of the way. And I just met some of the most amazing healers in the world from traditional healers with um, practices of medicine passed down by word of mouth to some of the world's leading scientists in Germany, France, uh, Israel, New Zealand. It was really amazing the opportunities that I had to learn and collaborate around the world. And that changed my practice, also changed my life because spontaneously reversed early menopause and became pregnant again at age 41, delivering a beautiful, healthy baby girl. Oh, that's amazing. So you were an OBGYN and you were told you were in premenopause and had infertility, but you didn't know how to solve it until you I was went an and er traveled. Yeah. Early menopause, irreversible infertility, failed the highest doses of injectable fertility meds with no ovarian response and told the only option I had possibly was egg donation, egg wow. donation. There was no way I'd get pregnant on my own. I'm surprised as a OBGYN, one, that you just accepted that and two, didn't have any other answers. Yeah. Yeah. I, heartbroken, right? Heartbroken, devastation upon devastation. And then just like, you know, at some point just thinking this can't be it. It's not possible. There was that seed in me. And this is where I tell women, if you see, you know, see yourself pregnant, if you hope, if you have that wish for yourself, don't give up. Don't give up the answers right around the corner. It's there for you. And that was it for me. So part of like the journey around the world was that sense of like, you know, what, what else, right? Like, is there anything else out there? And I'll tell you this, and I don't share the story very much, but I, we ended up in Indonesia and this was, you know, over a year later. And in Indonesia, we met this traditional healer in Bali in Ubud in Bali. And, and it may have been the same traditional healer that eat, love, pray that is featured mm -hmm. in eat, love, pray. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm not sure I read the book after I came back from my journey around the world. So I was like, huh, I wonder if that was him. And anyway, I went to, to him with my girls because we'd heard about him and with my husband at the time. And he, you know, he looks at me and he's like, I said, I, I'm infertile. I'm in menopause. And I, you know, I've been told I am that's it. I want, we wanted to have another baby. We've kept trying, but nothing, nothing has happened. And, um, he put his hand on my head and it was really tender. So everyone listening can put your hand on your head and right at the crown of your head <laughs> today, it's not tender at all. So that is so good, but it was really tender. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, like what, what's that? You know, he goes, you worry too much. You worry too much. And that's a function, right? And, and I've kind of, as a scientist, I was a scientist before medical school, I started piecing pieces together, you know, after the fact and stress, trauma increases cortisol, depletes progesterone, certainly to a degree that it could put us in menopause, could make us infertile. It could make that irreversible too, if we allow it. And cortisol is that inflammatory hormone, anti-inflammatory hormone. And so, you know, and, and, but it depletes progesterone levels and your adrenal glands, you know, will produce cortisol. And this is just so critical to understand that when we are stressed, the adrenal glands hold the energy of fear. And if we have trauma, post-traumatic trauma, chronic, you know, chronically triggered, we worry too much. We 
have like constant or everyday stress that depletes, that depletes our hormone progesterone. And that creates, you know, early aging in every organ of our body and certainly factors into in a big way in infertility. And so, you know, that I was like, you know, no, I, I know I saw my ultrasounds, you know, I mean, my ovaries shriveled up and no response to the highest dose of injectable meds. He says, no, you worry too much. Maybe that seed really kind of put some more hope again into my heart. But at that time, as many women will know, once you've been doing, you know, you're infertile and you're, uh, yeah, I was using hormones to force a period and, and trying that whenever you see that period and that negative pregnancy test, it's loss all over again. It's loss right. and loss and loss. And I'd really was like, no, I don't want to even try anymore. And a few months later I was pregnant. That is so exciting. Yeah. I have a lot to ask you about that because I know people are like, tell me what you did. Tell me, you know, the lifestyle, the food, whatever it is. So we'll get to that. Um, I chuckled a little bit when you said that he put his hands on your head and you, he said you worry. I only chuckled because I thought that's all of us. There's so many Americans stressed and worrying about so many things. And so and it's a discipline and a practice to stop that worry, especially if we've had PTSD. And I say going from post-traumatic stress to post-growth and resilience, and it's within our power to do that. It's a daily practice, maybe a minute-by-minute practice initially to focus on the positives in our lives, what we're grateful for, the wins. These are oxytocin-increasing thoughts, which is the counter to cortisol. And so these disciplines, and it's biblical, right? Focus on what's good, noteworthy, have good report, you know, beautiful, wonderful, good things, right? We focus on these things that are lovely and that improves our physiology. It's physiological and it's biblical. And there's, you know, it's proven, proven to work. There's hard science behind this now. Wow. Okay. So let's, because I want to talk to you about oxytocin as well. So let's start at the very beginning. Let's just start with menopause. So let's start with the basics. What actually is menopause? What is happening in the body during menopause and what hormones are involved? Yeah. So menopause is that time 12 months after your last menstrual period. And it's really terrible terminology. And it most likely was developed at a round table of men, this terminology. <laughs> I have no idea, but it's, it is terrible terminology. So then it means... So for example, in, in my instance that I had almost 12 months or even 12 months without a period. And then all my daughters came back in the house during uh, the pandemic and they're menstruating, their menses synced. And lo and behold, I had another menses, right? So like then I'm starting the clock all over again for menopause. So like the perimenopause, you really need this time around menopause, right? And we kind of call that perimenopause. So perimenopause can be one to two years, can be over a decade, right? And so that's the crazy thing. And then postmenopause is the 12 months and one day after your last period, then you're considered postmenopause. So you see the terminology is terrible. And really what we really need to understand that's happening, it's just a transition state. It's a transition state and it is a time of pause in our life. And I say it's within the pauses in our lives that we find the magic. And we really need to look at menopause and the perimenopause in this way. Okay, so how does someone know if they're in premenopause? Because you hear that quite often. Do you really know if you're in premenopause? Well, I mean, I think if you're at all symptomatic, and this could be PMS, terrible PMS symptoms in your 30s, right? Is that pre-menopause with, or with menopause coming in your mid forties. I mean, cause that be symptoms is it, it's a hormone imbalance, right? It's hormone imbalance. And anytime we have hormone imbalance, that should be the diagnosis. So perimenopause is hormone imbalance really. And that's often when we have lower levels of progesterone, cortisol is made from progesterone. We call that the cortisol steel and we steal cortisol is made to and at the sacrifice of progesterone which is our pro life hormone it's the hormone part of the luteal phase of our menstrual cycle and it is predominant you know in that second half of your menstrual cycle where women tend to feel more symptomatic after ovulation with PMS, anxiety, mood, mood shifts, irregular menstrual cycles. So those symptoms are inclusive in the perimenopause symptomatic period. 
And, you know, and periods could be coming more frequently or less frequently, you know, and there are neurologic symptoms associated with this. So it's not just an endocrine, a hormonal imbalance. It's a neurologic period of vulnerability. So I call it a neuroendocrine vulnerable time period where we really need to get aggressive about balancing our hormones. And I want to say it in a lovely way, aggressive is a harsh word. We really need to get nurturing about balancing our hormones. Okay. So as you're talking, I'm thinking, well, those PMS symptoms and hormonal imbalance, all those things can happen to 18 year olds, 15 year olds, people in their twenties. So that's not perimenopause, is it? No, right. So typically it's associated with lab changes. So a lower progesterone level at the peak of your luteal phase, which is usually around seven to 10 days after ovulation. So, or 20, if in a 28 day cycle, 20 to typically we say take cycle day 21 of a 28 day cycle, but it depends on your natural cycle. Can't test this on birth control pills. And the other thing is with the perimenopausal symptom, we tend to see an increase in FSH and LH, not to the menopausal level, but above the fertile level, showing some ovarian resistance. So when we see an elevation of FSH, even above 15 at cycle day two, three, or four, then we can say, okay, there's some perim. So we'll look at that with lab tests, but mostly the hormone imbalance uh, symptoms that come into play as well. Okay. So someone can know if they're in perimenopause or in menopause with blood work. You can cycle day two to four LH and FSH and cycle day 21 progesterone levels in a normal 28 day cycle. Can you also do blood work to figure out if you're done with menopause? Yeah. And typically the FSH is very high over 40 in those instances, over 40 or 50. And the other thing you can look at is, you know, again, the menstrual cycle. So what's hard is when people have had an endometrial ablation or a hysterectomy and yet have their ovaries and they're not sure. So looking at an FS, but then you don't even know when is cycle day two, three, or four. So you really want to plot out your basal body temperature. And to be really investigative at this, do plot out your basal body temperature and see if you're ovulating. And if you are, then, you know, about 14, 15, 16 days after your ovulation, you can check an LH and FSH and see where that's at. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. 16 to 18 days after ovulation, check an FSH or LH and LH and estradiol at the same time and see where that is. And the other thing that can be tested, and this is usually for fertility, for ovarian reserve, you want to look at an AMH, which is an anti-malarian hormone. So what's really interesting is that like at birth, the ovaries have about a million follicles and that by the time we reach puberty, it's down to 400,000 and then less than 10,000 by the time we reach age 40. And so an AMH, our anti-malarian hormone kind of looks at that ovarian reserves and is a, has a predictive value to pregnancy. But then again, you know, like I was written off by the best of the best. And I'm an OBGYN trained by some of the best reproductive endocrinologists. And let me tell you that the things that I've discovered that help turn that around, everyone can do and should. That's fascinating. So I want to talk to you in just a second about balancing your hormones and the things that you did to reverse that. But before that, let's first talk about the symptoms that people experience during menopause. For instance, hot flashes. You always hear about these people having hot flashes. So are hot flashes a common symptom of menopause and what's causing these? Yeah, the hot flashes are that enigma and bane of uh, existence for women going through menopause. And it's very interesting because we always associated um, hot flashes and night sweats, right? Waking up in the middle of the night, really hot. I mean, tossing, turning, covers on, covers off, you know, all that is associated with estrogen loss, this decline of estrogen and progesterone as we get, as we approach menopause and beyond the low estrogen, hypoestrogenic state. But yet there's more to it because many patients, even on estrogen, can continue to experience hot flashes because another factor that really I hadn't realized until... Uh, you know, people started doing my program and their hot flashes went away in, in two weeks. 
But the reason is insulin resistance creates increased unrelenting hot flashes. And some women have had hot flashes for 15 or 20 years that I've worked with, right? Until they shift and improve that insulin sensitivity. And that's just a you know, again, that's within our power to do that at any age, we can improve our insulin sensitivity. So hot flashes are also this kind of this temperature shift in our body. And another thing that's made hot flashes worse is the fact that we live in a climate controlled environment, like we wake up in a 70 degree house, go into a 70 degree car to go into a 70 degree office or even a 70 degree gym, and you don't get the fluctuation. So this is where going into really, you know, temperature, drastic temperature changes, like doing saunas and ice cold showers or ice baths can again, really help your body's thermoregulation and decrease hot flashes as well as improve metabolism and brown fat, right? We want all of that. That's interesting about insulin resistance. I didn't know that the two went together. And I just um, interviewed a doctor on insulin resistance, and he was saying um, about 80% of Americans deal with insulin resistance, which is crazy. So that's a lot of women possibly having hot flashes that aren't related to menopause. Right, right. And it's interesting. Insulin naturally increases as we get older. So there's that function too. But just as part of our menstrual cycle, progesterone tends to increase insulin resistance. So that luteal phase, we have more circulating glucose to be available for the baby that is getting ready to be implanted. When that doesn't happen, progesterone levels go down, insulin sensitivities go up and uh, that shift naturally happens. So people think, oh my gosh, I have terrible cravings during my second half of the cycle. And, but that's physiologic. So that's where getting keto green, which is the, the nutrition lifestyle program I teach is, is so critically important to decrease those um, additional sugar spikes that create worsened cravings. But how right. fascinating that our body is just designed, designed to do that. And things that interfere with that are birth control pills. They, they really screw with that and it worsen over time. You wonder if the pandemic of insulin resistance in women isn't a fallout from synthetic progestins, which we know increase insulin resistance over time is another piece of the puzzle. Like, you know, we put these things together, but surely, right. They were studied before the FDA approved them. Leave that for another discussion. <laughs> exactly. That is so interesting. Okay. So Let's actually just jump to keto greens right now, because now people are probably wondering what it is, and then we'll come back to other symptoms. Tell them a little bit about keto greens. Well, I will jump into the other symptoms too, because, you know, like when we think of this time of either, you know, the perimenopause and menopause, it's really this period of neuroendocrine vulnerability. And this is where it's endocrine neurologic. You know, it's not just about irregular menstrual cycles and heavier periods, that we see as GYNs, but it's also about the anxiety, the depression, the mood swings, the brain fog, the irritability that, you know, it takes us into the GYN, takes us into the internist, takes us into the psychiatrist, takes us eventually to the divorce divorce attorney. I mean, like, (laughs) where is this going, right? But it's this period of neuroendocrine vulnerability. And if we honor the changes that we're experiencing, we don't have to suffer. If we nurture our bodies based on its design, like I would say you can't hack my mother nature, right? I'm a big biohacker, but you can't beat mother nature. You have to go with her. You have to work with her. And so menopause is mandatory, but suffering is optional. And with this, with this, you know, this discovery, and I was 48 going through a second menopause, but with all the symptoms I just mentioned, including the ugly monster rearing its ugly head for no good reason, like how did I overreact like that? So, you know, learning that, um, not to mention the weight gain without doing anything different that comes on in menopause, like, whew, like that's just not fair. It isn't. It's and, unfair. Okay, and let's so, let's talk about yeah. some of those symptoms then before keto green. So yes. why the weight gain? Why the depression, anxiety? Let's start with weight gain. Why the oh, weight my. gain? And it's always in places that we used to not have weight gain. Right, right. Like thickening around the middle, right? Changing, losing more of our hourglass design, you know, or, you know, thickening up around the waist. And um, 
you know, fat deposits around the neck and shoulders and all of this. There's a couple reasons. And in my second book, Keto Green 16, I write about the 13 weight control hormones because it's really interesting because we, we just think of menopause with estrogen, right? For the most part, that's all you hear is estrogen. Even progesterone doesn't get the honor it deserves, but you hear about estrogen. So it goes a lot more beyond that. And so you're becoming more insulin resistance over time. Cortisol is also increasing just over time. And so you really have to look at that. And then you have the hormones of satiety, like uh, leptin, and the hormones of hunger, like ghrelin, that are you know, ghrelin increasing over time. So you're more hungry, you have more insulin resistance, you're storing in a storage mode, instead of a high metabolic usage mode. And these things are contributing to that weight gain without doing anything different. There's a time clock that's triggered during this time. And even women who have had hysterectomies will experience this around their mid fifties, early to mid fifties and some earlier. And so it goes beyond the estrogen and progesterone uh, piece of the puzzle to, you know, just create more conundrums for us and in the so in, in experiencing it. So does the estrogen and progesterone have anything to do with the weight gain or not yes. necessarily? Yeah, absolutely. Certainly. Yeah. Certainly the drop in estrogen. I mean, it's part of the triggering. So the decline in estrogen and decline in progesterone as we're getting older, that's going to have a decrease, a decrease in like progesterone is one of our thermogenic hormones. So when we have progesterone during the luteal phase, we can track our basal body temperature and it increases, right? That's how we know you've ovulated. So that's a thermogenic. You're burning more fuel during that time too. You're burning more fuel. So we lose that with the decline and a rapid decline in progesterone, which is also that neuroprotective hormone that when we lose that, we lose, we lose memory. We have some brain fog. And that's a problem there too. So there's like many facets to these hormones that are happening and the muscle wasting, you know, that occurs beyond estrogen, progesterone, but also the decline in our anabolic hormones like testosterone and um, pro hormone DHEA that also declining from our, you know, mid twenties, DHEA starts declining in both men and women. So those are anabolic hormones that build muscle and strength. So as we lose that, we're also more likely to store fat. So that's part of it. But then there's that time. I mean, seriously, like overnight, you're gaining this weight without doing anything different. And it's, it, you have to look at all the factors. And so this is why in my first book, The Hormone Fix, I say it takes more than hormones to fix your hormones. Because when I was 48, and, you know, I, I've learned this firsthand and then implemented with my patients, y'all. So I'm very humble as a physician. But when I was 48, I started experienced the second menopause and that 20 pound weight gain without doing anything different. And so I immediately was like, okay, I'm restricting all carbs because I'd been well over 240 pounds at one time, lost 80 pounds and was able to keep it off until this time period. And so I gained this weight without doing anything different. And, um, it was quite interesting. And I was like, seriously, when my patients would tell me they gained weight without doing anything different, I'd be like, sure, you're not right. Sure. Right. Totally true. Y'all I am humble. I'm very humbled by this. And so I went on a carbohydrate restricted diet, a very ketogenic diet. And I use keto in my, and carb restriction in my patients with candida yeast infections with seizures or neurologic disorders. I have a child with a seizure disorder. So I was very familiar with the keto research at that time in the, uh, 14, 2015. And so I went strict keto, cutting out all carbs. And then I got, you know, keto cranky or more appropriately said keto crazy. I felt like I was hitting a wall. And I recalled that patients who I put on a very low or very carb restricted program in perimenopause would say the same thing. The younger patients, no, no problem. The male patients, no problem. They have 10 times as much testosterone than women do. 10 times as much anabolic steroid hormone circulating through their veins than women do. Guys do keto differently than women. So I started checking my urine pH, you know, and I always check, I create, created urine pH strips, keto to test ketones and pH at the same time. So make life simple, right? And I was as acidic as the pH paper would read. And it was such an aha moment for me because it, it just told me, no wonder you're feeling inflamed. No wonder you're feeling irritable on edge. It was that aha moment. 
And so I just started becoming more alkaline and using more alkalinizers in my food, hence the to my keto green program, dark green leafies, beet greens, beet greens. I was throwing them away for years, right? And, you know, eating the beets, throwing away the greens, man, now I throw away the beets and I eat the greens or I'll use the beets to use a sliver and a smoothie to make it look like a deep, rich strawberry smoothie. And so a little bit goes a long way and beets are good for you, but you know, the greens are golden for you. Huge alkalinizers, rich in micronutrients, such a hearty plant good in methylation. I mean, everything you want in those beet greens. And so, you know, adding that into my diet and, you know, more herbs, increasing the mighty maca plus supplement to two, three, four scoops a day. And I was becoming more alkaline, felt more at home. The weight started to slip off. And as I was continuing to test urine, pH and ketones throughout the day, because the more ketones you get, more acidic you get. So it's really quite empowering to get up that alkalinity at the same time you're in ketosis and it feels amazing. And one thing I noted, and this is like discovery and then looking to understand why that's just how I just. Uh, how I work. And so I was, you know, I would notice that I would be more alkaline the days I did my gratitude journaling, a prayer meditation, or walked on the beach. I was more alkaline all day. I had more willpower all day. I was happier and at peace in my body all day when I did those things. And the reason is, Carolyn, this is where I started associating pH with hormones. Cortisol is an acidifying hormone and our urine is a vital sign. We're talking about urine pH in this, not talking about blood pH. It takes a lot to move the blood pH, but urine pH is such a vital sign. And um, cortisol increases hydrogen ion secretion across the renal tubules, creating more acidic urine pH. So if you're stressed, it doesn't matter how great a diet you have your cortisol is going to raw Peter to pay Paul to keep your body hormonally in, in homeostasis. And so keep your body balanced in other words. And so, but you can see it in your urine and con so cortisol is the most acidifying hormone and oxytocin, the hormone of love bonding, gratitude, connection, and affection is the most alkalinizing hormone. So technically you can go off your keto green plan, have maybe more than a couple glasses of wine and some great tiramisu and be alkaline the next morning because you had fun with your friends and family and you were laughing and enjoying yourself, maybe had a night of great sex. I mean, that's oxytocin and your urine pH will show deep green, greater than seven, even eight, and just very alkaline. And that is, we know from science, scientific papers over and over again, the regularly you have a more slightly alkaline urine pH over seven, your urine pH test over seven, you have less risk of metabolic diseases, heart diseases, et cetera. I mean, that's powerful. So that's why it's a keto green way and not simply a keto green diet. Wow, that is fascinating. I'm sitting here thinking I need to go pee on a test strip and see where yes. I'm at because I think I think my cortisol is probably out the roof with stress. So I'm probably very acidic. Okay, so you'll be surprised. I mean, it is so eye-opening. And you know, I just like people will say, I hate, I hate, you know, they start my programs and my magic menopause program that we launch once a year. And again, they're at the first like, I really have to pee on the test strip a couple of times, a few times a day. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I know you're going to hate it right now, but in two weeks, you'll be like, oh, you'll be snapshotting your test strip <laughs> your, and sending it to us and posting it on Facebook, being really proud of that green and red that you're getting. I'm telling you, it's yeah, game changing. I think it's fascinating. I want to try it. So let me ask you a couple of questions, though. So you said you were really acidic when you were on the keto diet. So being on a keto diet is not what will help you come down, alkalize more. It's the greens. That will the do greens that, and the lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. So lifestyle, just the gratitude, the being with your friends, that oxytocin type happiness, right? Yes. Yeah. All throughout the day, thinking positive thoughts. We have to change our physiology and, and it's some, you know, it used to be enough for me to just do my morning meditation. We're fighting a lot of negativity right now all day. Right. I'm thinking like I have triggers. Oh gosh, that sunshine is just really beautiful. Look at that. Gosh, I love my place here. God, man, Carolyn invited me on her podcast. I am so, so grateful. Oh, you're Thank so you. sweet. You know, I mean, this is like, it's all, it's a process and we really continue to focus on it. And that, that's a gift in and of itself. 
So let's talk about keto really quick because it is so trendy. And actually the other day, someone told me, oh yeah, if you're on keto, you can't have any fruits or vegetables. And I was like, eh, that's not quite right. So explain to my listeners what keto really is and then what keto green is. Yeah. And I love to start with this controversial statement. First of all, you know, keto is not just good for menopause, it's mandatory, but we want to do it a keto clean way, which is a keto green way, as opposed to keto dirty. And so there's the unhealthy way to do it. And remember your body is going to be more acidic and that means you're going to need more minerals and we get minerals from our bones, but testosterone decreases that bone loss because it's an anabolic hormone you tend to have more muscle, more testosterone. Men get away with keto without much greens for the short term and do fine women, you know, not for the long term. they'll end up gaining weight back. They end up having hair loss, having aging, increasing cortisol levels over time. And so women have to do it the keto green way with alkalinizing effects, switching into some vegan keto green days every once in a while, and really honoring the, the aspects of getting keto green, not just through high fat foods, high fat and high protein, you know, moderate proteins, but through the lifestyle changes, the intermittent fasting, no more snacking. If anyone's snacking out there, you know, just stop, just stop. There's no reason to eat two or three healthy meals a day that have enough fat in it, healthy fats, and you won't want to snack. You won't even remember that it's mealtime. And that is liberating, especially for those of us who growing up and that was in high school and college in the early 80s and when it was the low fat movement, man, that destroys our metabolism and destroys our hormones. And we're, you know, still recovering from that. And at least the mental piece of that, right? And well, women, we have to do keto differently. We have to add those alkalinizers in the micronutrients, detoxifiers, hormone supportive, you know, uh, molecules that make that make a difference, which are the greens, correct? The greens, the greens and herbs and spices. And those are I love I, you know, I grew up in again, a multicultural household. So uh, Portuguese and Middle Eastern. So their spices were developed over time. Like who ever thought of even using garlic? I mean, a smelly plant that grows in the ground and you're going to put that in your food, but you know, it's antiviral, it's alkalinizing, it supports sulfation for detoxification in your body. These are medicinal foods, herbs and spices are medicinal foods. So using them to add support to your body's de natural inborn detoxification mechanisms and support the trillion of bacteria in our body in a healthy way, that part of combining that part of that combination really makes for healthy, a healthy keto diet. So do you think that it's the acidity in people's bodies that is contributing to the hormonal imbalance or causing the hormonal imbalance? Yeah, it's definitely a huge part of it because our blood, like I mentioned, a physician and a surgeon as OBGYN, someone came into the um, emergency room crashing, would put a needle in her artery, radial artery at the base of the wrist, arterial blood flow as close as we can get directly from the heart, the oxygenated blood from the hot heart as possible. And we're going to look at the pH. We're going to look at the pH of the blood that is meant to be kept very precisely to the thousandth degree around 7.4. Okay. Very, very specific. A little bit more alkaline, put a little more acidic, and that's typically a metabolic acidosis or ketoacidosis that people can come in who are diabetic, different, not going to get that doing keto. But if you're in an acidotic state, we're going to give you bicarb. We're going to give you a alkalinizing medicine, essentially, to alkalinize your blood really quickly and to take you out of this uh, very dangerous state that your body's gone into, but that's severe, right? Severe starvation will take you there. Severe, um, you know, ketoacidosis will take you there. I mean, there, cancer can get your body in a very acidic crisis state. But until then, there's this little bit that's happening, right? The little bit that's happening on a cellular level. And so we can push our body to the extremes, or we can maintain it as much as possible. We don't want to get into like in, in cancer patients that become really acidic, it's that cachectic state, right? Your body's breaking itself down. And you avoid that by establishing a good foundation of health and met metabolic support. So acidosis is very dangerous for a number of reasons. And, you know, initially in the short term, 
it, it can be fine. It can be beneficial. Like an acidotic state after an intense workout creates some inflammation and helps your body build more and remodel some more muscle, but you don't want to stay in that state. You want to quickly, as soon as you know, pretty soon within 45 minutes of that intense workout, give your body some protein and alkalinizers and minerals and greens to help support you. And, and I think what the keto world, I've been saying this now since early 2015, but what the keto world saying now is yes, you need to take minerals, especially when you're fasting and doing a keto diet, minerals are alkalinizers. It's important for the cell membranes, but we need to go above that and feed our gut microbiome because a chronic keto diet will also decrease the diversity of our gut bacteria. And we know that healthier diversity, lower risk of cancer, lower risk of metabolic disease, slower aging. And I don't know about anyone else listening, but count me in for that. So the green now all I have to do is eat some mic some greens. So the microgreens and add some herbs and spices and make things taste better. Do some, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the fats and proteins are for the keto part. The microgreens are for the green part and the diversity in the gut and things like that. Yeah. So yes. okay. So if someone's listening and they think they're going through perimenopause, they're close to menopause. You've talked about trying to keep their bodies down at a more alkaline level. You've talked about trying to increase oxytocin with the gratitude and happiness and doing those things. Are there other things as well, such as nutrition or sleep, other lifestyle factors? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so the eat well part is the keto green part The you know, that's important with your diet and that's with intermittent fasting and no more snacking. So you become more insulin sensitive. That keto part is to become more insulin sensitive. The green part is to manage cortisol. The insulin and cortisol are two of our major three most important hormones in our body that we have to manage for hormone imbalance as we get older or for hormone balance as we get older. And then increasing in. So, so those are some lifestyle factors. So eat well, move well, We need to, and especially as older we get, we're going to lose more muscle. So you have to do resistance training to build muscle. And honestly, two or three times a week is really all you need. And you really want to balance the, some of the activities that you, you may have loved doing in your twenties and thirties, if you're a runner, you know, or doing, you know, some marathons, because those are really like, and put a lot of strain on your body. So you really want to balance that out as much as you can. And so weight resistance and high intensity interval training exercises are really beneficial and, um, and doing an activity that you love and dancing, moving, hiking, getting out in nature, because we have to reset our circadian rhythm. And especially as much as we've been indoors lately, getting out for sunrises and sunsets, is a huge biohack using red lights, you know, we both have red lights in our homes here. And using red lights to help with, um, you know, our body's natural healing, plus in the evening to help trigger melatonin, and combat some of the blue light that we're facing regularly. That makes a huge difference. So that helps us sleep well, which is the third thing. So eat well, move well, sleep well. And we want seven to nine hours of sleep. And now we have biohacking devices, like I'm using a bio strap monitor now that looks at heart rate variability, sleep, measures my sleep and measures oxygenation and pulse rate. And the aura ring is another thing that's such good investments to get this feedback. There are also free apps on your phone where you can just look at your heart rate variability and sleep cycles and for free. So there's ways you can kind of look and what gets measured gets managed. So sleep is so important. It's worth measuring and really improving. And then um, think well, so eat well, move well, sleep well, think well, in order to be well. So the, the concept of, of changing the way we think and um, incorporating more joy and joyful thoughts into our lives. And that's so powerful. I mean, it sounds like soft science, but I tell you, it's one of the biggest things I can do to change a person's physiology. Like I, I've been working now, I mentioned my magic menopause program and I have my ladies choose a cheer word at the beginning of the eight weeks. I see them on video every week. We do live interactions and um, you know, the resting faces are like, hmm, 
hmm, we don't want frown lines. We don't want these wrinkles. We don't want any of that. We want, if we're going to have wrinkles, we want them to be happy lines, smile lines, laugh lines, right? So I have them choose a cheer word. Oh my gosh, Caroline, it's so fun. So like sometimes I just say a, a word that makes you smile and ends in a smile, you know, like the word smile, for instance, or jiggle, if that makes you laugh or smile, the word jiggle. And sometimes it could be a thought like, oh, you know, like Neptune beach or my horses or the barn, you know, like something that you just have to think about it to bring a smile to your face throughout the day. And you just start triggering that throughout the day. And then, you know, you smile when you think about it. every stoplight, every time you hear the water run, every time you use the bathroom, make sure you're using your cheer word or thinking your happy thought, so to speak. Right. And by the end of the eight weeks, people are smiling at the conversation. They're sitting there instead of like, hmm, they're like, yeah, you know, and, and, and it just changes your physiology. You're happier and healthier. It's increasing your oxytocin, correct? Which is Absolutely. alkalizing your body and decreasing the cortisol. Absolutely. It's that little spike, those little spikes. And as contrary, we could worry all day, which I've been there, done that, right? And that ages you much more and it increases cortisol. So we want to tip the scales in our favor by doing more oxytocin seeking behaviors. And that's a new um, thought for a lot of people. You don't hear a lot of people say, go increase your oxytocin. Oh, you know? yeah. Like what pleasurable activity are you doing today? How are you spoiling yourself, treating yourself today? What are you doing for fun? You know, right. like those are things we should be having conversations around. Right. But instead it's a lot of cortisol type things, worrying right. and fear and stressing yes. about life. Yep. Can't do it. Cannot do that. There's controls that we have to put in place for all those things. What can we control? And what, what can we do about the things we can't control? How can we shift it? So really quick, I want to ask you a couple things. Do these endocrine disruptors play a part in our hormonal imbalance? For generations. Oh, wow. For generations. Carolyn, I just did a podcast on my girlfriend doctor show, and it was just me talking. I called it Do No Harm. And in medicine, we learned, you know, premier uh, non nocere, which means first do no harm, primum non nocere. And... And really, what does that mean? And I had to look, I was doing some research on, on hormone disruptors and specifically diethylstilbestrol, DES, which was given to women and it was advertised in newspapers. All pregnant women should do this so that you can have a full-term healthy baby, right? It didn't increase full-term births actually. And the other piece is that it created the children of the women who took in the best interest of their, their child's life, right? Unknowingly took this DES or took, that was, was given, prescribed this DES quite forcefully, right? If all women should take this if you want a full-term delivery, right? Wow. So terrible, right? Because as moms, like you have enough guilt, right? right. You need to add any more. Right. If I don't take this and something happens, I should have taken it. And um, so DES was given in this way. And the estimate is five to 10 million. I don't get why the estimate's five to 10 million. There's a $5 million gap in the estimate. I mean, seriously. So probably 10 million and um, 10 million doses of this was. And what happened is that babies of women who took DES were uh, shown to have increased risk of vaginal cancers in as young as eight or nine years old. And some not till they were much older, as well as reproductive tract abnormalities, a bicornate uterus, infertility problems. Boys had undescended testes, testicular problems, and there's also gender identity confusion associated with this, not just through the second generation. As healthy as you can be as a child of being administered this in utero, essentially, the third generation, a study in France was released a few years ago that also show third generation effects. So our children's children are still being affected with the consequences of diethylstilbestro that was taken. So I actually brought this up to Harvard scientist, uh, George Church, a PhD, so well renowned and respected and has said, you know, FDA needs to do third generation animal studies before they approve something? How can they still be releasing things without approving it with at least animal studies? Do new mice studies for three generations. That's done very quickly. And he said, we really should require the FDA to do this. Wow. Because we find out after the fact 
that there are generational problems, like with DES, like with thalidomide, which caused lib abnormalities. I've taken care of the children, you know, uh, of this, like who had it in utero, innocent bystanders, right? And, and for how many more generations is that going to be affecting their children? Wow. It's interesting, these things, increased risk of cancer, increased risk of infertility, reproductive tract abnormalities, and increased gender identity issues. And so um, DES is just one example. Now, is it completely off the market or is it used in livestock? Hmm. Well, uh, I would ask you, <laughs> would ask you to look at that because, you know, it's somehow... Well, and that's only one endocrine disruptor. That's There's only many, one. many endocrine disruptors out there. They're in our lotion, bath soap, uh, water even. I mean, cleaning oh, yes. supplies. I mean, they're all around us. Chlorine in our water, for instance, right? As an endocrine disruptor. Chlorine's an endocrine disruptor. And it's, it's tragic. Sometimes I've had swimmers that were my patients. I had to get them to switch to a, a salt water pool or, you know, freshwater pools instead of the chlorine. And also we did things, we tried to do everything like, you know, bathing your body in a light oil before you go swim. So I have some really amazing master swimmers that were part of my client base. Those are huge endocrine disruptors. And we have to support the thyroid with that chlorine competes with iodine receptors, creates hypothyroidism. Another thing are my professional golfers, you know, women and, and men, golfers, pesticides and herbicides, high levels of mercury, high levels of lead, these are toxic to the nervous system. And we can see an increase in, in neurologic issues in one patient who had Parkinson's disease. And these are things, drinking out of plastic bottles, touching receipts that we get, like just take a picture of it, don't touch it. And gosh, everyone working at a cash register should wear gloves. It makes me cringe what's happening to her every time she, I mean, the bisphosphonates, BPAs, right? Uh, polycarbonates, um, phthalates are all endocrine disruptors and are in abundance. And we can see over 270 toxic substances in umbilical cord blood. Wow. So the answer is to remove these things from our environment, not to develop babies and test tubes, right? We need to remove these things from our environment because the uterus is the safest place on earth and longevity starts in the womb. Well, unfortunately, the FDA is probably not going to remove these things. So it's us needing to be educated as to what products we're using and what's in the products. Where we put our dollars right. makes a difference. So this can all seem really overwhelming for some people. Some people in menopause, premenopause are like, oh, this is too much. So where, I know. Where Sorry, y'all. Where do you tell them to start? You know, I think it, the biggest thing is to start with the mind shift. Start with the mind shift. And that's really powerful. To work with me and getting keto green and doing some fasting. One thing, a practice that I've done. I mean, I, I'm with y'all. Single mom, raising four kids, you know, like running a business, near bankrupt at one time, just how to figure all this out and do the best I can do. There's some days I do better than others, but there's certain things that are really important. So what's most important to you? And I think outlining that is truthfully important. Where do you want to set your goals? Where do you see yourself in one year, five years, 10 years, and at, you know, a hundred years old, where do you, how do you want to be living? And you can look around and I, I saw this, my dad was the oldest of, of four brothers and he lived the longest, not just a number of years, but in quality of life years. Uh, his younger, uh, youngest brother, 10 years younger than him was basically in a hospice bed for 10 years. And my dad had to bury his brother. You know, I mean, it's just that tragic, but I write about this because I don't want people to give up hope. There's so much we can do and it doesn't matter how, how old we are, how young we are, the power that we have to change. And when my dad was 79 and he was really starting to decompensate and was on seven medications and he came to visit me at my house in Georgia and he had taken a wheelchair in the airport, couldn't walk around the Philadelphia airport and was exhausted and cranky and irritable. And I was like, dad, you know, what's going on? Cause you know, Anna, I just don't feel well. I said, would you want me to call your doctor? And, um, he said, yes. And I knew his doctor cause it's the same doctor that took care of my mom, his heart doctor. And I said, um, you know, dad's um, not feeling well. I mean, he's really struggling now. Can you think, what can we do? You know, I was being very diplomatic. And his doctor said, you know, Hannah, your dad's 79. He's lived a good life. Oh, so boy. basically, 
figuratively see him just wiping his hands of my dad at that point. I said, well, you know, I'm a GYN, but you mind if I, I step in and he's staying here and visiting me? He goes, yeah, sure. And so I, I took him off of three medications. I put him on essentially a keto green plan, took away his whiskey, put him on a keto, but only for 30 days. That's all I could do. My old Navy man, dad, World War II veteran, right? In 30 days, he went down from a 120 units of insulin a day to 20 units oh, of wow. insulin a day. That's at 79 years old. And then at, um, he lost 30 pounds in 30 days. He went from, you know, having to take a wheelchair to get around to being out on the tennis court with my kids. And not only did he live to see 80, but he lived to 91, 91 good That's years. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Love mm-hmm. that story. It's a great story. And it's like, you can't give up. And his brain sharp until the day. But when he was 79, it was like he had early dementia. 91, sharp as a tack, still beat our butts in Sudoku competitions. Yeah, we would Xerox a page of Sudoku and try to see who completed it first. He continued to beat us. That is great. Well, I love that you say at any age you can change and that you've got the power to change and you can take matters into your own hands, basically. I have two questions before we end that I know followers will want to know, and I'll get asked a lot if I don't ask you. One, do you have to stay in ketosis all the time? Is this a lifestyle that you're living every single day? No, no. I believe in feasting too, like that metabolic flexibility. So like that doesn't mean sitting at home with a gallon of ice cream and, and digging out, that's your feast means like really, you know, enjoy it, you know, enjoy yourself with good, healthy foods, adding in if it's that chocolate mousse or tiramisu, but you know, it's like what it's celebrating. Right. And we should celebrate. We really should. We should, and I say it's 10% feasting, 10% fasting and 80% keto green. And that's a good balance. So sometimes it's more 60%. Sometimes it's more 90%, you know, but really looking at that keto green lifestyle and having that flexibility. I, I can't emphasize how important it is to get into that state and test. Don't guess. I'm, I'm, so many people think they're doing keto and they never test and their ketones. And you're missing a big piece of the puzzle if you're not testing your pH at the same time. But test don't guess. And when you get into this keto green state, I guarantee it, I want to hear from everyone, you know, definitely message me on Insta or Facebook or email my team at dranacomeck.com. And but when you get into that state, it's like energized enlightenment, the fog has lifted your brain is clear. I mean, seven, like I'm 55 now. So when I was 48, I mean, I, I couldn't write a newsletter, let alone, you know, I've written two best selling books, and that third book's coming out next year, plus I'm in the best relationships of my life. And it's not just me, it's 10s of 1000s of women that follow this plan. And it does make a difference. And I guarantee it. I mean, I just love seeing it. It's a healthy, balanced lifestyle that we really need to move into as our hormones go through transition. So when you say test, don't guess, you're talking about the urine strips. Okay. So then the second question I know a lot of people will ask is when they are going through menopause or even perimenopause, do you recommend synthetic hormones or any type of hormones? I am a big advocate for bioidentical hormones. I really am. And even with or without a uterus, progesterone is very important. To to the degree I I created my own progesterone pregnenolone uh, topical anti-aging formula, and it's my balance cream. But I really believe in it because so many people, I mean, so many physicians, I, I, I wish no physician the journey I've been on to know what I know, right? I wish no physician to go through what I went through to be where I'm at in knowledge and in my doctor's bag. That's why I'm so vocal about teaching. And I've taught physicians all over the world. I'll be going to France with the uh, head of innovation at NASA invited to speak on exactly this topic, endocrine disruption in uh, February, uh, February, March, in March of, of 2022. I mean, I am just a proponent of empowerment through knowledge, inspiration, education. And so for, typically start with detox and I use adrenal adaptogens. So I created formulas to help me. And so that's what I've used in my clinical practice. And that's what I recommend in my books, but the Mighty Maca Plus, so 30 superfoods combined to be adrenally supportive and detoxifying. So that's one foundation. We see an improvement in DHEA and improvement in progesterone with that. And then adding additional progesterone if needed 
adding DHEA and I formulated a combination called Jolva, which is anti-aging cream for the vulva that every one of us, certainly over 50, should be using clitoris to anus, the most important real estate of our body. If you guys follow me, you hear me say that. It's so true. And, um, and DHEA is an important pro-hormone, right? It, it converts to testosterone and estrogen and, and all of us, you know, our levels decline. Again, we don't want to have levels of a 20-year-old or 30-year-old per se. We want optimal balanced because transition's important. Just like we don't want to block puberty from happening to kids, we don't want to block menopause and andropause from happening because it's a rewiring period to lead us into the second spring of our lives. And that has to, the transitions, the rewiring, the way we're designed, again, work with mother nature, you know, not against her. So there's that piece. And so I, and bioidentical estrogen, but bioidentical, not synthetic, there's a huge difference. And, and again, to emphasize with or without a uterus with progesterone, because a progesterone is a, you know, neuroendocrine supportive hormone. And when you lose your uterus, you're told by your OB that, well, you don't have a uterus, so we can just use estrogen. Because the thought was progesterone's only needed to oppose estrogen to keep you from getting endometrial cancer. Well, progesterone, you know, pr predominantly produced by the ovaries is neuroprotective. So when I would use it to help patients post hysterectomy, they would always come back and tell me, even if their hysterectomy was 20 or 30 years earlier, they would come back and say, Dr. Ann, I feel like a fog has lifted. My oh, memory is so clear. I'm just more at peace because it improves the hormone, the neurotransmitter GABA, which is the hormone of relaxation. And I always think of the rock group ABBA, like the <laughs> musical Mamma Mia. And that's like, that's progesterone. That makes you feel that way. So people can and, find these products on your site mm -hmm. and they yes. don't need a prescription or anything. It's good for anyone that's in that perimenopause, menopause state. Yes. And my book, The Hormone Fix, has questionnaires, same questionnaires I used in my clinical practice to help people figure out, okay, you know, how well am I doing? And um, so many clients will t say too, especially early on in their 30s and 40s, they say, Dr. Ann, I didn't realize how bad I was feeling until I started feeling good again. That I do know. I remember that just on my own health journey. Didn't realize mm -hmm. how good I could feel. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So just really quick with those products, People that have like dealt with breast cancer, just because I have a lot of family that has dealt with that, can they use these bioidentical hormones and can they use the products you sell? Yes. Well, again, every case is different and depends on where in your cancer uh, journey you are. But I will tell you, using bioidentical progesterone and doing these things, detoxification, herbal support in my practice, I had, you know, the clients I diagnosed were cancer with cancer were ones that were coming in where I diagnosed them with cancer. They'd been on birth control time, not on bioidentical progesterone, on synthetic hormones, maybe, but not on bioidentical progesterone. So I've used it clinically. And again, on a case by case basis. And the reason I created the topicals is that's the safest form of delivery. And especially when it comes to sexual health, and that's been my area of expertise for over 20 years, but you it, treating breast cancer patients that you say they would rather die than continue to live without a libido, help me, Dr. Anna, right? And so I had to come up with safe ways to address this issue. So I'm a big proponent of my product, Jolva, and many oncologists approve it. Look at the ingredients, you know, use it with their patients. I know I have a client who's at MD Anderson and her, guy, her oncologist said, absolutely. And it just makes a difference so much. So I would definitely look and see, but nothing in a pill, a potion, a product that I can give or write on a prescription pad is better than what we do ourselves to empower our body with the lifestyle changes that we make, the mental shifts that we make on a moment by moment basis. And these are extra add-ins to help support our bodies. And and certainly the Mighty Maca Plus, the Jolva, and I've used it in breast cancer patients in my clinical practice. But again, everyone is on their own health journey and should consult with their own oncologist. Thank you so much for all of the information you have given us today. You have taught my listeners so much stuff. I'm excited for them to go read The Hormone Fix. I've read it. I think it's an amazing book. It answered so many questions for me. And I'm excited for them to go try your products. So Tell my listeners where they can find you and where they can find your products. 
So thank you, definitely. And we'll give you some links to like a free trial of Jelva and a free trial of Mighty Maka that we have available. So we'll give you some links for that. But also, um, it's easy to find me, dranna.com, D-R-A-N-N-A.com. And I'm on Instagram at The Girlfriend Doctor and in our Keto Green community on Facebook. And your podcast as well. And my podcast, The Girlfriend Doctor Show. Which I love. It is a great podcast. Thank Thank you you, so much for being here. I always end my podcast with asking my guests what they think the best ingredient in life is. Oh my gosh. You know, without a doubt and without sounding cheesy, it is the best ingredient in life is a healthy relationship. And it starts with a healthy relationship with yourself, really liking yourself and seeding that love internally. And it's a practice and a discipline. There was a time in my life where I hated myself, right? I was, I blamed myself for everything wrong that happened in my life. And turning that around, it was the hardest thing I've ever done, honestly. Like I would say forgiving myself. And um, to love myself, that's been a big part of my healing journey. And I think for many women, we tend to have this nasty bitch on our shoulder and we need to get her off. We need to really focus on the love that's within us because each of us is uh, divinely gifted. And um, I want everyone to know that. I love that. No one has used that yet as their best ingredient in life. And I can't agree more because... I don't know if you know my health journey, but long story short, I tried to commit suicide and for years I hated myself. I was ashamed and full of guilt. And, and then once I learned to love myself, it's like when life changed and, you know, just blossomed and so many blessings. So Yes, I love that. I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for you and your your mission in your life and that you're here to, to join me in it. Well, thank you. And thank you again for being here. I can't wait for everybody to listen to this. Thank you. My pleasure. Anytime, girl. Anytime. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.